Hi, Russell. So welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Russell and um, I'm just so excited to be back and to be chatting all things Substack. I'm really delighted that Russell could join me this afternoon. We made our timings work. It's like super early his time and afternoon my time. And we're going to delve into some Substack frequently asked questions that people find quite complicated to wrap their heads around. And we're also going to hear about Russell's journey as an author, as a Substacker, as a just a creative beautiful person I call him this Substack wizard and this is the first time we've met and I hope he takes it in the best possible way but yeah I do think he is a Substack wizard so watch out hi Russell would you like to introduce yourself uh, sure uh, I'm Russell Nolte I'm a US Today best-selling author my publication is called the author stack uh, it's really about helping authors build better and more sustainable businesses so uh, I started in film in 2004 and then I moved to comics 2010. I started writing novels 2011. And uh, I've been blogging for most of that time on and off since 2008. Um, I think I still have a uh, blogger, uh, the Google, whatever the blog spot, that's what it was, a blog from like 2008. So I've kind of like, every time I start a new project in this vein, I like go back and I pull all of the best stuff from like my old project to this one. So my last one was called the complete creative. And that lasted, uh, we had a 200 episode podcast and that lasted from about 2016 to 2020. And then the authors that came about, I really went back earlier this year and pillaged all of my previous stuff um, uh, about author growth. And the thing that I'm mostly interested in is like not just helping authors build like more money into their business, but building more really like the rock solid foundational principles. I consider five, five pillars of building a creative career are making something great, um, like learning how to sell it, uh, building an audience, selling at live events and um, and then launching products successfully. And then with Monica, uh, Leonel, who's my business partner, writer, MBA, we just are launching a book called Direct Sales Mastery for Authors on Kickstarter. And that has its own five areas of direct sales uh, inside like the launching product. So it's subscriptions like Substack or Patreon uh, or Ream, um, crowdfunding like Kickstarter, um, conventions, uh, uh, website sales, so web stores, and then landing pages on your website. And across those five modalities and those five kind of um, pillars that I that I designed all the way back in 2016, I want, I'm trying to get authors and writers of all types to just build, understand that marketing will set you free, not hold you back, basically. Oh, wow, wow, wow. It's amazing. It's amazing to hear your journey and how all of that has started to slot together. And then this gorgeous, generous gift that you've got of wanting to help other people, you know, through the lessons that you've learned, through collaborations with Monica, and then also through trying new things. Like I always get the impression from reading your articles, you're not afraid to try things, right? You're like, let's give this a go and then we'll reflect on it. And also, I really love that you're really into looking at the behind the scenes in Substack. Like that's what I've really drawn from some of your work that like you really look at those open rates and some of the notes that you've published around that have like blown my mind I'm like I need to read this five times to understand it you know it's new language but it's also new um statistical ways of working for us you know and we're sort of used to shying away from the statistics and being a bit frightened of them and you're trying to help us to yeah to see them and look at them and get really empowered by what they mean 
Yeah, you know, so a lot of people, like almost everyone wants to grow their audience. I always say you might not want to grow your, I've, I've met a lot of authors who don't care about the money, but I've never met one person that doesn't want to grow their audience. And like, you need to know statistics. So um, I work, uh, Monica is uh, much more, she deals with the much more like meaty trends of on her publication, um, which used to be called the author analyst. She's like, so I'll post a lot of stuff about how capitalism is destroying your men mental state. And Monica always says, why are you writing that? Like, no one's going to read that. And I say, well, I write the posts about Substack that people want to write the posts, the write the articles about like actually what's happening that people need. And so like a lot of times people ask me like, well, I have this very niche subject. How do I grow it? And I'm like, well, like, uh, I, I like to think of it as like a dartboard. So like you have your your uh, your 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 bullseye, and like that's where your super core fans are going to be, like the people that resonate with everything. But like it's probably pretty weird. Like it's probably pretty weird. Like not always, but like often it's like like my bugaboo is like capitalism destroying uh destroying creative minds and careers and like i don't love it and like not most people don't uh resonate with that initially because like we all like food and we all like money it buys for food and services and goods like what's wrong with that and so um uh, i i i then have you then have to like move out from there so i'll give you an example for my own career i have a book called um, Ichabod Jones Monster Hunter. It's a very weird psychological horror book that's also a dark fantasy. And like people that love that book will love everything else that I do. Like it just is historically been the case. Like if you love Ichabod, you'll love everything else. But like it's very weird. It's not quite um on trope. Um, well, it's definitely not on trope. It's just a very weird book. And so I I start I wrote this book series called Um The God's Verse Chronicles which is mythological fantasy, it's action adventure. It's still weird, but like less weird. Um, and uh, it's it's much more, and and I actually like designed it so that it starts weird and then it starts pretty normal and then gets weirder throughout the course of the, the, the 12 book series. And then um, uh, that helped and that got some people, that got a wider audience. And then I write, wrote a series called The Obsidian Spindle Saga, which was fantasy and fairy tales. And like, it was there was love story at the center of it, like way more on trope. Um, the first book is called The Sleeping Beauty. Like then the Wicked Witch is just like is made to sell. And then like while I was doing that, I created this anthology series called Cthulhu is Hard to Spell, which is an anthology series about Lovecraft. And so all of these are these concentric rings that give bring broader and broader audiences into the work um, and allows me to write the posts that I think matter the most knowing that those ones aren't the ones that are going to be disseminated the best and and i only know all of those data points because of like, i only know how that works because i look at the back end and uh, you know i for instance release a chapter of uh the gods vs chronicles every week and i'm like it's easily the least read thing like the most subscribes come i just don't care because like I care about being a fiction author. Like I care that you like both things. Like I don't, like I'm fine with you liking one of the things, like, especially if it is just the fiction, but I'm really looking for people that like both things because the more points of intersection that you have with someone, the deeper your relationship 
with them is. And the more money they spend, the more referrals you get, like the more, the more, uh, the, 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 the happier they are. And so I am interested mostly in the intersection of multiple points of, as, as opposed to like just making a publication that has the most reach possible. Not that that's bad. It's just even like, I, I feel like I, uh, I resonate a lot. Like people who like have very weird uh, topics resonate with my work a lot because it's really about like, okay, I'm going to show you how to game the system, but like, I'm going to help you do, help you game the system. So you get the most people to read the weird thing that you actually really care about. It just so happens that you have to read this other thing. Like you have to do these other things that you, like, I love writing those, those more basic posts as well. Or like the, the posts I'm doing is like, all of the nonsense terms of tech that like will help your author career like this week. Like those are like SEO articles. Like those are ones that like will, I can, I can push out for the next 10 years and keep getting people in as opposed to like how to survive in a hyper-capitalist hellscape, which I wrote like six months ago is my, one of my best read pieces, but like, like you have to be in the know to get that piece. Like I'm not putting that out unless somebody actually has that problem. I'm not going to like put that out in the general public because it's going to scare too many people away until they know all of the data points. Wow. So there's so much richness in that. So you're a storyteller, right? So you've written these books and it's storytelling and it's fandom. So for some of the people that listen to Sparkle, I know like even the word fandom, they'll be like, wait, what? Like, what is that? So fandom is massive in America. It's like really small here in the UK. Like there are pockets of it, but it's small. Like obviously we're a small island, blah, blah, blah. And there are these kind of like little pots of things that happen. But fandom in America is massive. Like there's conventions, there's like really cool things that people can go to. And there's all of these different audiences. And there's all these people celebrating. This is really quirky and I love it. And I also want to read this. And I feel like that's some of your work as well. Like you're going, I'm not going to apologize. Like I've got this work and I love writing about this stuff. But I also want to do this post here. And people are going to resonate with that. I was really interested in what you said around like where a post is like the most read post or where it lands and like how that how that lands with you. Like, do you feel like chuffed, elated? Are you like, great, that did so well. Like I got X number of open rates. Or are you kind of like indifferent at this point? You're like, I'm putting my work out. It's all good. As long as more people are coming in, as long as some of them are kind of siphoning into being buyers and paid subs, it's all good. Like, how does it how does it land with you? I feel like, um, so I, I, I predict how well things are going to do. And when they do well, like I like check that box. And when they do badly, I, I like examine it because if they do worse than my predictions, then mm. I'm, I, I don't want to spend time on a post I don't love if like, it's not going to be or like that, that is, doesn't like super resonate with the stuff that I do. Mm -hmm. If like, it's not going to hit my projections, if it goes above it, then I'm like, I have a different, like very interesting conversation. Mm -hmm. I more just get bummed when I look at the statistics for everything and see that like my little, um, uh, novel, uh, web novel, it does the worst of all of the things. And like worse is not as like, uh, uh, relative, right. Cause like, it still has over 10,000 people that read it a, a week, but like comparatively to the other stuff, the one I get emails about, about how to unsubscribe from just that section is like the 
fiction stuff. Um, you did say something really interesting, though, about uh, fandom. And I think that one of the things that writers, especially when they're starting their career, don't break out is you need like fandom is people who like your work. and But like then you also have a network and that's a different thing. Like there are so many like creators that I work with who make great work, who I am not a fan of their writing in the way that like I am a fan of like Melissa Albert's writing or like your writing or like somebody like so and like I think that we as one of the biggest things about Substack is people conflate the two things Mm -hmm. like they think that if you if, if we are friends or like we are networking together to do a thing that means you must like read my thing and then on some level, like resonate with it and then give me money. And I just don't think that's like a good, I don't think that's good because your, your creator network is way more powerful than your fandom. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially at the beginning, like, because the creator network is who you do cross promotions with and who you, and who you like work with for marketing, who you Mm -hmm. share each other's work with. Mm -hmm. Um, all of that stuff is really important. Like your fandom usually has to be considerably more than your creator network because okay. like those that those are the people actually buying your work. Most of your creator friends might read your work but are unlikely to buy it, but they are likely to share it with their audience because mm-hmm. they believe in you, they believe in their work. Like they know you're a good writer, even if maybe your work doesn't 100% resonate with them. And- like, so I think one of the things that uh, that I see in America is people really conflating those two things. And on Substack, I see people really conflating those two things mm-hmm. and they just aren't the same. They shouldn't be the same. And you neglect the power of a network when you can think they need to be fans. Mm, that is so insightful. I love that. It's an absolute, honestly landed so so well with me today like uh yeah I see what you're saying I feel like you know in the Substack education space and there's lots of people that are writing really strong articles around Substack and what it's meant to them and Substack growth or Substack journeys you know there's some really really good stuff and I in my head I feel like they're all colleagues this is all amazing because a rising tide lifts all ships and I want more creatives to take up space I want more creatives to feel like they have permission like I love the quirkiness that Substack invites I love how they seem very like front and center and they kind of really connect to writers and the fact that it is creative as well so I think that's why I was first attracted to your work because I was like here is like there's a comic guy, you know, there's a guy who is like incredibly knowledgeable and has somehow superhuman strength to write these really long articles that I'm like, I want to print them. I've said this to you before, I want to print them and highlight them. It's there's like a fascination, right? So I think I am a bit in your fandom, if I'm honest, but I am also really keen to be colleagues with you because I just love your style and I feel people can learn a lot from not only your expertise outside of Substack, but the way that you approach Substack as well. I feel like there's something, especially, you know, sometimes with the people I work with and with myself, like we're so heart-centered. We're like, oh, you know, I don't know whether I could look today or whatever, you know, and there's things that we can do to protect ourselves 
from, you know, feeling wobbly on the internet for sure, but it still is like new, right? It's a new engine for culture. It's a new way of working. It's a new way of showing up. It's a new way of giving ourselves permission to share video, audio, graphics, visuals, branding, writing. It's just, yeah, it's so exciting. Um, But yeah, I love that. And I love that before we jumped on the call, you were sort of saying about how open and generous you thought people had been in response to our joint article and how, you know, it was really beautiful to read that they were there kind of going, oh, I feel this, like, can you help me with this? And they felt safe to do that in those comments. And I feel I've seen that as well with Substack. And maybe it's something that Substack has encouraged and enabled. Maybe it's something that people just feel, you know, when they've been on the internet for a certain number of years, they feel safe enough to do that. I mean, it's curious, isn't it? It is very curious. It's a, it's something that you generally only see in like, well, not really Reddit, but like forums that are closed off and okay. not quite public. Mm. So, but I mean, I think it's great. And I mean, I think that what is amazing about Substack is it's it, uh, so I'm also obsessed with Kickstarter and I think Substack is the best opportunity since Kickstarter for creatives. Mm. Um, and what's amazing really is watching everyone is building their audience in public. Like you're literally see when somebody <laughs> is like built a sustainable, a, a start a starting to create a sustainable audience. So you get a little check mark. Like they get like, that's all of these, and like you see all of the the mistakes and you see all of the successes and they're just like every single person is building is trying to build this thing in their own way and find part of that is is trying on other things and i think we don't appreciate when you like my my friends like okay so you're a stage i'm a stage 40 human and i'm a stage like 10 writer 15 writer i've been writing like full to like Six, like I'm writing since 2004, so maybe 20. I'm like a year 20, but a lot of people are like a year 30 human and a year one writer. Mm. And one of the things that we taught that when when you're when someone's growing up, it's like they pretend they are other things. They like put on other, uh, uh they, they like they dress up, they like try on these different things, and they they make believe that they are these things and. One of the things that is beautiful about Substack and like when you're beginning your career is like the ability to like pretend that you can go and be like, I want to pretend I'm Cat River today. Like, I want to pretend that I'm Emma Gannon or I want to pretend that I'm Russell Nolte or Claire Venus or like whatever the whatever the thing is. And I don't and I, it's and like like a a person a like child puts on like the a like princess dress and then takes it off and they are like i i want to do it again or i don't want to do it again and like sometimes they're like i really love i want to play this thing every day forever and but a lot of times you're like i never want to do that again thank you for spending a hundred dollars on like clothes and stuff mommy but like i'm not i'm not ever i hate that and like i don't i i think the the one of the bet one of the um potential negatives of a site like Substack that is like so focused uh, so many people are focused on monetization is like they don't take the time to play in these other worlds and put on these other types of things and if you don't uh, not only might you find something you really love by doing that but you also find 
like new paths of business that you really like. Like, I didn't know I would like negotiating contracts. Like, I didn't know I would like like putting budgets together like 15 years ago. Like, I didn't know I was, I mean, I have a degree in sociology, but like, I didn't know I would use it every day of my life in the way that I do now. Um, and you only learn those things by like pretending you are, and, and, and one, and so it's very interesting to watch all of these things happen in what is ostensibly public. Like most of these comments are publicly findable. Yeah. Yeah. That's it, isn't it? And it is that thing of going, sometimes the creative process asks some time of us, you know, and um, that was very much my journey with Substack. Like I heard, Farah Store, who's head of UK partnerships, say, just turn paid on from the off. So I started on Substack from zero, right, on Creatively Conscious, my first publication. I started with zero. I turned paid on from the off. Like that was just my Substack experience. And in that time, I had no expectation around what I would offer because I didn't really know what Substack was. Like I literally was there writing an article and fathoming it out and that was April 2022 and like you say then as time moved on and I got to know Substack and what it could be and I brought my creativity to the platform you know lots of things happened as part of that journey and I also realized that in showing up the, the way that I was on Creatively Conscious, I'd lost my essence of why I started the thing. And I was like oh no this is wrong. This feels wrong. So then now I need not only like a whole new outfit but a whole new house to play in with the outfit right so that's when I birthed Sparkle on Substack and everything just felt so much better I was like okay so I still get to talk about slow live Northumberland life wholehearted business all of that sort of stuff that resonates and makes sense with maybe like quite a niche group of people and then I get to kind of go if you're a creative who also likes to write, me too, come and join the gang. Like, let's let's have a go, you know? And that's that's very much what it was. And then, you know, that bestseller check mark was a quiet goal, but I didn't expect to hit it, right? It was like one of those, oh, you know, that would be cool. That would be really amazing. Like maybe in the middle of next year, maybe after a year or two, like I still thought that the energy would be, similar to how it had been on creatively conscious and then that changed that shifted that changed and I just ran with it right and then this is the in terms of what you were saying this is the bit where you recognize so you're at the stage in your career where you can kind of call it how something's going to go and I'm at the stage in my career where I'm relatively new to the online world but I've been doing the work in person and I thought they were two very different worlds and they are, but they're not, right? Because we're just human at the end of the day. There's a human on the other side of the laptop. There's a human on the other side of the podcast. Like there's all these asynchronous things going on, but I've had a whole career of doing that in person. So it's blown my mind. It's blown my mind. But in being able to take up space and take up permission to play, I feel like that's what's kept me feeling like it's really fun. And it's still really fun. Like this is fun today. Like it all just feels fun. Right. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we always talk about, like what what like what works or what doesn't work, but like a lot of times you put on a um, you put on this thing and you see like that. Oh, if I just did this thing, like I would be successful. Mm-hmm. And like this has happened a lot of times in my career where I put on a thing and I'm like and Monica and I, I just sort of I wrote a post a few months ago about how to burn it all down because Monica and I were very successful last year in our 
course company and like it almost killed us mm. and like we were like we can't do that and a lot of and also giving yourself permission to say like that is not the way that I want success like mm. I tell people all the time like I could I I was a sales manager at Sprint like I could go and get a six-figure sales job tomorrow like mm. I have no fear of any of those things and I, that's not the way that I want to run my business. That's not the thing that I want to do. And I often find that things that I wanted to do serve me for a season and then mm. they don't serve me anymore. And a lot of the things that I've done, like I had a podcast, I brought it back several times. It is now currently not having been brought back. Um, and, and then like I have whole lines of business that like made my, that like literally uh, made my career exist. Like I used to do book marketing for people and then I stopped doing that. And now I like do it for one client and like these things that serve you sometimes stop serving you. And then maybe they start serving you again. Mm -hmm. And um, if we're not willing to inhabit, if we're not willing to, to inhabit success, we don't know if that success will feel good. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of people don't want the kind of success that I that that I have because like I talk about author growth and like marketing and sales. A lot of people don't um have positive feelings about that. Let's just say positive okay. feelings about that. I get a lot of people that's like, of course you're successful. You're talking about like Substack growth on Substack. And I'm like, I designed it that way. Like I <laughs> I I knew I I I for like six months I read the things that were working, what was organically growing. And then mm. because of Substack's recommendation engine, I designed a platform that would get recommended in the same way that like, in the same way that like when you're in Kindle Unlimited, um, mm. like there are certain kinds of books that work on Kindle Unlimited. And like, if you're going to use a platform that is built upon organic growth, like Substack is or Wattpad or Royal Road or Kindle Unlimited, like you should like lean into the thing mm -hmm. that is working. And if you don't want to do that, that is okay. Mm -hmm. But you should make a conscious decision to know that that is that you are making a decision against your most, um, the most virality. Like I don't have threads. I don't have TikTok. I don't have, like I barely have a Twitter. I barely have like Facebook um, only for really DMs. And like, I know that that stuff holds me back. Like I know Substack is a very small platform in the grand scheme of things that like you have, if you really, 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 really want virality, you need to be building off of Substack to bring people to your publication. But like I go into what I do with a, with the mindset of like, I always optimize for enjoyment at this point in my life. I'm in my forties now. I just don't have time to do things that I hate. I mean, everyone does things that they hate sometimes, but like, I don't have time to like, or the energy to, um, to like <clears throat> do those things just for the sake of growth. Mm -hmm. But I spent time doing growth for the sake of growth stuff. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I, a lot of them then fed back to being like, wow, I could probably use some of this and do it in a way that is very conscious, that is very conscious towards growth. People always talk, get on me because they're like, oh, I don't want to be a brand. And I'm like, well, I don't want to spend time learning branding. I'm like, but like, 
okay, if you want to grow without spending energy, the way to do that is to write the exact same posts that you wrote before, but just like make all of the things call out to the person it's like it's like that's the free stuff like it's like it's so much it's so easy when you brand yourself well and you attract to attract the right people that like you don't have to change anything that you're writing maybe you tweak a little bit of it but like in general you're writing the same stuff it's just like oh your brand makes sense and suddenly you start getting energetically like the right people to come and you start growing in that way and that people actively fight against it. And then simultaneously complain that they're not growing is like, that is the incongruency that I'm trying to explain to people. Mm. I honestly don't care if you want to build a brand or not. Like it doesn't matter to me how you put your business, but like you should at least know the things you're doing that are shooting yourself in the foot mm -hmm. and then make a conscious choice to go towards the things that will help you grow or against them. And again, there's no wrong answer, but I always say like data is not good or bad. It's just data. Like you should know the correlation and causation for the things so that you can make a, like the right choice for you, which might be, I want to have a chaotic mess of a page and I never want to do branding <laughs> and all of that stuff. And I know that it will help me and I don't care. And, but hopefully by reading the author stack, you'll be able to see, wow, these two things resonate with me. And I'll be like, you only need one a year. If you put one, if you slam through one great strategy that helps you grow a year for 10 years or five years, you will like have a massive business that that brings you back everything that you want. So like mm. you don't need to like have all of it work. You need to probably be testing a lot of things and then find one thing and eventually like it locks in. Yeah. And if you're the maybe you get two or three a year and like you honestly don't need that many things in mm. order to like sustain your life but you should know what those things are and to make to make the right decision for you now and mm -hmm. tomorrow it might be a whole different decision like tomorrow a week from now you might wake up and be like actually I really need to do that that happens to me that's where a whole author ecosystem is based upon mm -hmm. yeah and I love that work on the author ecosystem people definitely have to go and read through that um it's just it's incredibly escapist you know it's beautifully written and there are parts in it that just really really resonate and then there are big questions that kind of crop up you know when you come into your creative work and you come into Substack as well you're kind of going okay like have I been working in this ecosystem but actually this is my co more congruent ecosystem I think like I recognized a bit of that in myself and I've still got work to do on it but I love what you say I think it's really important to know and it's so nuanced the conversation around branding but it's so interesting and important to know that there is a clarity in people come into your work when the brand resonates with what the words are doing and the word is words are part of the brand as well like we had a conversation because you were telling me that your logo piece was inspired by Elizabeth Gilbert's big magic book and I was just like literally like there couldn't be a bigger connect for me like I love that book um and also I love the storytelling of that I love that it wasn't just like a random Canva graphic not that I thought it was but it was very very conscious you know that that branding that visual it was a very conscious decision right and the words that you chose to align with that graphic and I am fascinated with all of that stuff and sometimes 
that stuff is our life's work. Like, yes, we can pick something and it feels sort of okay. But when we get that combination where it's like, that is a representation of me here and now, and it starts, like you say, magnetizing and bringing people in, then we know we've done it, right? Like we've done it for now, at least. Right, exactly. And, you know, the thing is you have a brand. Like we all have a thing that like is your, like your mother has a brand, your dog has a brand. They all have things (laughs) that like, define them not forever but like for now or in your Mm, memory and that's mm -hmm. really what you're trying to do what you want the brand is not for people that know your work already it's Mm, so that mm. somebody who doesn't know your work can say oh I feel at home here I feel at peace here I feel like this is going to be the thing that helps me and it allows them to let their shoulders down so Whenever we go into a new situation, we're always like very tense, like everyone mm-hmm, is like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter, like whether you've done this a million times or not, like we're all very tense. We don't know how we're going to be perceived. Whenever we meet somebody, it's, we always have this tension. Mm-hmm. And like, whenever someone says, you should go look at the author stack, people are always like, what is this going to be like, that's literally like, almost always the reaction that someone has when you offer it's like, now I'm going to be asked to do work and decide whether this is a thing that like that, that like, I want to be part of. And so the quicker you can say somebody, oh, like, look at all of this, like, this does look like a thing that like, will resonate with me, like, and Elizabeth Gilbert is great, is like a great example, like, you just picture her brand, like you don't even have to see like hear her like you don't you just know like the things that are about Elizabeth Gilbert and yeah there's an essence that she just has there's an essence that when someone mentions her name it lives in you right if you've read anything or listened to anything that she's done it just there's an essence and and there's Yeah. And there's congruency there, like what Mm. you think and then what you see. It's the same thing in like Mark Manson, The Subtle Art of Not Giving Up as Mm -hmm. um, the opposite of Elizabeth Gilbert. Mm -hmm. But like, again, you can hear that work and like Mm -hmm. Austin Kleon, like you can Mm -hmm. hear the thing Mm -hmm. and you know who will resonate like your friends. So one of the hardest things for me was um, I for a long time did not do very well letting people giving making it easy for people to recommend my work to other people okay like it'd be like what do I recommend them where do I do this like where's your website like what is the book that I should do and like it just it like complicated and made it muddy and people would ask me what book should I give them and I was like well it really depends and they're like not to me you need to tell me (laughs) what how tell me let me help you tell me how to get people to you and like it was chaos. And one of the things that we can do to help ourselves is to give the people who love our work and read our work a clear vision of who should they should tell about it. Mm-hmm. Like who should read this piece or like not even who should, but like, oh, my friend Becky is like at this point in their journey. And like, I think they would love this thing or like, mm. they just got pregnant and like, they're a creator and like, here's a substack for them. Or like, they're uh, like, they're a, an ex beauty, like, not like they're an ex, uh, they, they, they're like trying to re- be, they're a recovering, like makeup aholic or like whatever, like mm. beauty fanatic. And like, they're trying to find ways to, it's like, oh, well, I know exactly who, where I should send somebody on any point in that journey mm. because people have made it clear what their messaging is. And, and my agent 
a long time ago said, if you're not top three on someone's list, you're not even on that list. And mm. so you need to pick a list and be able to, and, and say, at what point in somebody's journey do I want to be recommended to somebody? And how do I support that person on their journey? And where, where on the journey do I no longer, am I no longer able to support them? And how do I offload them to another mentor? Yes. This is one of the most kind things you can do to your audience because mm -hmm. some of them will stick around and like, as you grow, they will grow. But for a lot of them, they'll find you at a place and then they'll, they'll leave that place. Like they will either grow or they'll change. And like, to be able to say, here are some other things that like, I think you should read next or will help you or will support you yeah. in this transition. Or if you read mine and this, it can help you for longer. Mm -hmm. Like those are such kind things that we can do that we don't think about how we're doing them. And that's where branding and marketing and all of these words that sound bad, like in just like in your ear, like these words sound bad. Like when you actually break them down to like what they're doing, like you are on some level creating a kindness for your audience by saying, oh, I know you want to support your friends and like you want to help them get to the place you are. So I want to be easily, I want to easily be shareable to those, those people who like we'll be able to be helped the most without you having to worry about it. And I don't need, and I don't want you to have to then explain for 10 minutes. Like mm -hmm. I want you to just be able to say, I love this thing. And all I have to do is share a graphic or share a link. And Oh, of course, like that looks like everything I'm looking for mm -hmm. as opposed to, well, you know, like I know you have to look at this and like this other thing. And here's why it's helpful. Like all of those things are friction points between your audience and the people that they can share it to. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that. I loved all of that around kindness as well. And I feel like that is just innate, right? So like if you are an educator in any field, like there is a kindness switched on that you want to try and support people and help people. And I'm under no illusions that Sparkle will help people for a time and it'll be different for everyone. You know, for some people, they might be with me three years, maybe longer. For others, it'll be a month. They'll dip in and out of a workshop. They'll get what they need or they won't resonate with the way that I teach things and they'll be off and that's grand. It's really, really interesting. And I, I know that we've had these questions in our shared post and one of them well, a few of them are around paywalls and when to paywall and what to paywall. And of course, it is nuanced and complicated. And it's the biggest question that I get asked after how to grow community. You know, when and my whole thing is like, we're doing it joyfully. We're doing it sustainably. That's how we're doing it, you know. So that's what we're going to be spending time doing together. But if it's a question for people around how to set it up some of that is just practical like decision making like do I paywall my best work do I paywall half of my best work like what on earth do I do and so what are your thoughts so there's a writer well I'm going to say there's a creative who also likes to write okay so they're also creative because that usually is my type of person who comes to work with me um and they have innate creativity they're also writing but they might be in that analogy that you kind of described like they're a few years into the writing journey right and they're curious about this paywalling 
Um, they've seen other people do it. They've seen other people be successful. They want to do it. They want to stand front and center and say, pay me for my work, pay me for my art. But they're frightened, you know, they're kind of going, how do I do this? What do I pay all? How much is enough? Do I do audio? Should I do a video? Does that help? You know, like how do how what would your be advice be around cutting through that noise and making some decisions around keep your broadest work free? Mm. That the work that is going to resonate with the most amount of people and the stuff that people need to know you for before it really makes sense, that is the stuff you should pay wall. I have had so many different opinions about this on Substack. I used mm. to have the paywall set up so it just archives after three weeks and like it ends up that like it doesn't work. Like it doesn't work because when you paywall, when you unpaywall something, Substack just repaywalls it. And so it just like drove me crazy. Um, and so I have decided that the the work that the work that I can keep behind a paywall is the stuff that people need to read other stuff of mine to really resonate with the stuff that is great for seo should be stuff that is like free because that's going to draw the most people like to go back to the author ecosystem like your inner grassland is about depth and 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 scope and so if you're going to have things that like and you might write one of those things a year one of those things a month maybe almost all of your stuff is like that it is likely that at the beginning of your substack journey either you'll be writing all of your weirdest stuff and then you get more broad over time, or you're writing all of your broadest stuff and you're getting weirder over time. And depending on where that is, like, I would think what, like, I have a post on mine, on my uh, Substack. That's just, it's a 50,000 word guide for Substack. And it's like everything from like setting it up, wh why you should do it, where it fits in, how to set it up, how to go paid. And it's like, well, if you go to my publication, like, that's why you're there. And if you read one article, they're probably going to tell you whether you want to know more or not. And also it's probably what people are most likely going to share. And an interesting thing happens with writing because it's not like, like I, I take several pills in the morning to keep me alive. And it's not like when you have one, like you can have one pill and like, it's all you need and you don't need to take the uh, any other, like, it's like they're mutually exclusive. Mm. But when you are a writer, things are not mutually exclusive because people need to hear things in different ways. And mm. one of the hardest things about writing is you can't just say, write a book about cookies and everyone reads your book because it's like nuanced and like some people some people don't like cookies and some people like only like this kind of cookie but even if you pick them even if you pick all of the people who love the exact kind of cookie you're making like some of them will resonate with your writing and some of them will resonate with someone else's writing and so there's always this so in almost you will almost never resonate with someone's writing. Like I think Substack is unique in that so many people resonate with so many people's writing there, but like it never happens. Like it very, very, very rarely happens. If you actually step back and say, I've read X amount of things. How many of them do I actually resonate with that I want to read more of? It's, I don't know, 1%. So when someone finds a thing that they resonate with, they are going to make the, that that is why they're taken actively forward. That is why they buy the work. That is because it is we live in a world now that I think 
for the last 10 years, people have devalued writing because it's just been everywhere. There's a million books and da, da, da. But what ended up happening, especially during the pandemic, I think at least, is people started to see that all of this work, it's not bad. Like, I, I, it's, it's work that is objectively good. It's just not subjectively their jam. And like, those are two very different, like, questions. Um, and if something is objectively good and subjectively your jam, or even if it's objectively not good, but subjectively your jam, like you, like, it's so hard to find those things and more and more in this sea that people cling on to it more and more and more. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 the problem of like not being able to have this mass scale because voice is so important is also the thing that makes people stick with us. It's like also the secret weapon that we have. And so if we start thinking about it like that, what I want is the broadest scope of people to read my work and then share it. And then I want some of those people to make the decision to subscribe. And I want some of those people to read the rest of the work and say, oh, no, I I need to know more or I need to support this person because I need them to keep doing this work. Mm-hmm. And, and I really hear what you're saying about support this person, right? Because they're going from reading an article with some themes in it and some topics that might resonate to recognizing that there's a person with a whole life and a whole set of different circumstances that wrote that article, that spent time writing that article and putting it out and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think that'll really connect with people. And then there's been a flurry of things around how we nurture this audience, when we email them, can we email them from other platforms? So I've had quite a lot of friends and colleagues that came to Substack, but primarily they have service-based businesses off Substack. So they have to be really careful on Substack. You know, they have to make sure that they're writing articles and playing the game of Substack. Like they can't just use it to market their business. But if they nurture relationships, they then want to email those people. So people are getting in all sorts of tangles around this. I did a note this week and sort of asked directly about GDPR. You know, obviously we've got these rules in Europe and all this sort of stuff. But I know and I noticed when I subscribed to you that I was also on a separate mailing list as well. And I didn't mind at all. I was like, this is great. I definitely wanted more of this stuff. And now I'm getting it. So that was perfect for me. And I just wonder what you feel, you know, works, doesn't work. Is there an etiquette thing here? Are we too British about it? Like, you know, obviously, like, what, 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 what are the rules? Are there any rules? Are we making them up? What do you feel? So my feeling is I want to narrow band people's ability to unsubscribe from from things that they don't want to be part of. Mm-hmm. So I have three mailing list systems. One is for my company, Wannabe Press. One is for, uh, and I use Flowdesk for that. One is ConvertKit for my writer MBA company. And then one is the author stack. Mm-hmm. I have found that I want to keep promotions on the ones that are not author stack. And so, uh, and then the author stack is about delivering valuable posts. And I have found that you can go from, from, um, from uh, 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 sending out promotions for promotional emails to value. Like that is like, there's no, like, I don't think there's any issue there. Mm. Value to promotional emails is a whole different, like, and we don't do that. We don't take the people from the value and put them in the other emails mm-hmm. um, because the main goal is to get people 
the value. And then at the so at the top of every post, I will have some sort of thing that says either when we have a Kickstarter live, it'll have like a promotion of like, you should go here and check that out. And, or um, it will um, or it will say at least like look at these other articles and like join and like subscribe and all of mm-hmm. those things. So I feel like my goal is to provide max value and then give people an opportunity to buy things from me. And this is the hardest part of people on Substack. They have a really hard time being like, hi, like I, you can buy this. Did you know you could buy this? Like, did you know you could buy this pen? And like, they just do not, they refuse or feel really weird about it. But like, like, it's just a pen. Like, did you make the thing? Did you make the pen for like the people that were there? Like, what are the, what are the values of the pen that like really like resonate with like, why did you make the pen? Like, it has to be for this audience. Otherwise, like, why would you do it? And like, if you did that, then like, just tell people about it. Now, there are some sub stacks that I follow that like really over are overzealous with the show me a pen. And frankly, I am also overzealous with it because I release 10 books a year. Um, so like I tell people about a lot of pens. And so you showed, um, you know, this is you telling them about you, right? Because you are a person who puts lots of creative stuff into the world and that lots of people resonate with and you know I don't want to use the word life-changing lightly but creative work changes lives right processes change lives like all the time this is happening every second of every day in all of the countries you know the privileged world like and there is something really special around trying to remove the barrier to people being able to have their life changed right Absolutely. And, you know, some, some, I just got in a conversation yesterday with someone who was like, how much of your work needs to be like in a book and how much do you keep out of the book? And I was like, all of it goes in the book. Like, mm-hmm. you, like all of, like all of it, like all of my books like are posts and posts are books because like the, the articles aren't written in a coherent way that make a, narr- a narrative, like a book is a narrative. So like, yes, there's additional things in the book, but like, all the stuff that's in like most of the stuff that's in the book also is in the uh, uh, like is also somewhere. And do you want to dive or do you not want to do the dive? One of the biggest things that I think is um, is interesting about uh, about how I think about monetization is really with nonfiction, especially it's like how much time do you want to save? Substack is mostly free. But like you have to go and like muck around with it a lot to figure out what you need. A book is like pretty cheap. It's like 20 bucks. Like it's like a, a, a meal at a not even super nice restaurant, just like probably a fast casual meal is like $20. So like that's not that like so like if you want to save some time, you should probably go like read a book. <laughs> the book has like a, the book has a lot of value and it's a little bit of price. It's probably the best value to price of all of the things. Mm. Do you want more than that? Um, well, I have courses. We have courses that like will show you and literally their screen, like their screen shares of like, do this, do this, do this. They take care of any eventuality, like 40 hours of like work that I put into a lot of these courses that just literally go one, two, three, four, five, that saves you a whole lot more time. Do you need even more time saved? Well, like you can book a one-on-one call with me. You can talk about whatever thing you want during that one-on-one call with me. But like, it's not about me. I don't care. Like I have no stake in how much value, how much time you want to save. My goal is to show you 
the value that you have and what the opportunity is. And from that, you can make your own decision. People email me often or like, hey, can you help me with this problem? Should I book a one-on-one call? And every time, and people get upset when I say this, I'm like, if you don't know whether I'm the right person to help you, then you should not book a call with me. You should Mm -hmm. only book a call with me if you know you are the right person. Because I have articles, books, courses that are all that all should be done before you take a one-on-one with me because like if you're going to get to the one-on-one you are spending the most amount of money per second to be in my presence and like and to to fix your problem as it but like if you haven't actually done the methodology behind the thing I'm going to have to then spend time telling you about what the methodology is and like you could the, you could uh, uh, do get way more value by write, reading a book or taking a course before you then say, I tried it your way. I tried it to do it this way and there's something confusing. And I just go, here are the three blocks. Thank you, bye. You've now like maximized mm-hmm. the value of our time together. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm, I like, I don't have any problem like telling people w- that a book is out. But like, I also feel like you need to make a case for your book. Like, what is the case that your book should exist? And like, I I do see a lot of Substack just like 25% discount, 50% discount, 10% discount. And like every month, it's like a different discount. I'm like, yeah. I have no idea. Like, you don't have a narrative thread for why. And like, it's fine. But like, it is much easier to say, I have a book called Direct Sales Mastery for Authors. Mm-hmm. I wrote it with my business partner, Monica Leonel, mm-hmm. after 25 combined years of helping authors with their sales. Mm-hmm. And we we made it because we started to see everyone is overwhelmed. Everyone is confused about this new thing called direct sales. Mm-hmm. And we have seen all of these gaps in the market. And we have spent years now going through and trying to fill these gaps. Mm-hmm. And this book is now 900, maybe a thousand pages of two books about like what the cohesive narrative is about direct sales, why it's important and the methodology behind it. And like, then I can break down and say, well, here are the five pillars. Here are the five principles. Here are the things. And then take each of those pillars and say, here's why it's important. Here's how to do it. And like, I can make that case for months, Mm -hmm. but like, if you don't care about direct sales, like, you're not, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking to you about, I'm not going to convince you that direct sales is important. Mm-hmm. I can convince you as I did recently that like direct sales, that Substack is direct sales, that courses are direct sales. And like, you can say you don't want to get involved in direct sales, but probably on some level, if you've ever sold a book to someone out of your, at a convention, if you've ever like had someone buy even a dollar's worth of stuff from your website, like you are doing direct sales and Mm. like, and, and, and our job as creators is to show people why they should care about this thing, Mm. not because I care about it, Mm -hmm. but because I have your vested interest at heart, yours. Mm. Like it's none of this. This Mm. is the hardest thing that I ever convinced that someone has to swallow. 0% of anything you write is about you. It is always, always, always about them and how you make them feel. The, the, the reason that these, that, that people connect so much with certain writers is because they make them feel a way. 
and they connect their experience with your this is why this is why writing is parasocial right because like it's like wow this i feel seen this is the thing that most people say in like the comments so often you see comments on posts and it's like i feel seen Mm -hmm. i feel like i'm not alone i feel this it's never like you did a good job guy it's always almost always related to a way even if it's just like like i did like i was on joanna penn's podcast this week and like it's been a lifelong dream even the fact that like people have been following me for 10 years since no one would listen to me they're just on the team rooting it feels like they're on the team together and so all of this stuff all of it everything is how can you make the connection that you are that that like somebody with somebody else and influence their journey. This is why I think no one should write a biography and everyone should write a memoir because everyone has a story in them that can change somebody else and that someone else can relate to. And that's what this whole game is about. Mm, I'm obsessed with like- me- I am obsessed with memoir. I just literally lent into all of that. I was so fascinated in everything that you were saying. I think it's super interesting as well to reflect on the journey so like the customer journey the reader journey like people being with you for a long time people kind of buying in at different levels people being overwhelmed and needing to just cut through the noise and realizing they could have learned it all in a course but we didn't have the time you know all that sort of stuff like that is the beautiful messy world of creative living of trying to you know show up and make it all work and make it all fit together and Substack, you know for both of us is a big part of that but it's not the only part of that I wonder if there's anything, Russell, that you want from Substack moving forward that you wish that it would do that would help your business ecosystem or would help other creatives that you feel like it's not quite doing yet or it's not quite there yet. Is there anything that you'd like to see from Substack? I mean, their paywall is garbage. It's like, it's so bad. (laughs) Like, it needs to be better. Like, it needs to be able to narrow band way better. I don't know why we can't say set a number of articles that people can read for free like they can on almost every website because that I think is that is what I would like I would like to be able to say everything's free or most things are free mm-hmm. but like you you can read five a month or three a month or whatever okay. like you could read five a month that would be like basically like all of my main posts a month you could read for free and also it all comes into the inbox so like a lot of it like you don't have to go to the website to read mm-hmm. that is I think their segmentation in, in, in behind the like in in the back end mm-hmm. is also um suboptimal. I, I won't say this like it's like I, I would like to segment way better and then be able to play with those segments. Mm. The segmentation of saying somebody in this, like I would like to be able to email people that are just part of one of my segments, not all of them. Um, and I'd like to be able to write a post. Um, so, so that part is, is, and the final one, it is so hard to see how much money you actually made. Oh in my God. It is like, you have to go into Stripe and <laughs> mm-hmm. make a project. Mm-hmm. And like, even then it's like, you can see forward casting what you make, mm-hmm. but like theoretically, maybe what you could make, but like, you do not see like how much money that actually is or how much that is per month because some months are very lumped in. Like maybe there's like 
maybe October is you've got 15 payments of $50. And mm-hmm. like, so it's really not you're making $500 a month. It's you're making $200 a month with like one $1,500 month. Like mm-hmm. I don't, and it's so, it's, uh, so, it's so, so confusing. I, I actually a few weeks ago started an article on it and tied myself up in knots and ended up going, if you could because of the currency conversions as well so we've got that and so some people are sending me way more money than others because of currency conversions I'm like this is way out like this is almost like a pound a month more for this person and so I was like okay it's average this like this is how it's been working this is how it's developing and then I stopped myself because I was like you know what part of this feels like a gaming system part of this feels like this addictive gaming system where we want another paid subscriber and then actually what I really want to focus on is how much value I'm giving and being paid properly for my work so at x number subscribers I'll be being paid properly for the work that I do when I first started Sparkle I wasn't because you know there was a few paid subscribers come in you know week by week or whatever and that was how it was going to work and I could see that um, so yeah, I do have issues with it. And I have issues when people ask me the direct question I'm, as well. I'm like, please don't be influenced by what you see on Substack. Just go back to what you want to deliver for your membership or for your paywalled people and how it fits with your bigger business ecosystem, because these are small subscription amounts. Yes, over a certain number of years, there's a stability there, there's a security, it feels nice. But it's small, right? Like these are small amounts of money. And then there's so much disparity in terms of people setting out their stall at X number of pounds or dollars a month. Then there's like a 50% off sale. And it's like, it's a whole world of pain, isn't it? So Gumroad does a really interesting thing where they charge by um, like by the country. So they will do parity. So Mm -hmm. like if you, if you're in, like a very poor region and like 50 cents is equal to $5. Like wow. you will only pay that. And you can't do that on Substack. And the other thing you can't do is, and I find this wild, like this is what, this part is wild to me. Mm-hmm. You have contributors to a publication, but you still have to intake all of the money for a publication and then pay out contributors. Mm-hmm. Even if they have Substack publications mm-hmm. that are already on Stripe. And you can see how much the estimated income is for a subscriber, but you can't just be like, hey, pay this person 50% of whatever comes in from this thing. And like, that's wild to me, Claire. It's Mm -hmm. wild because like, like, like that, the whole business that they have based around is making these feel like newspapers. And like, Mm. you can't collect, like, you can't say, if, if you like subscribe to this, sparkle bundle and all 10 and like you get access to 10 feeds for $20 and then these everyone will get paid out 10 like 10 percent of that like why why like why why can't we make a publication on Substack if the re if we it's so easy to add collaborators add contributors Mm -hmm. and they're already taking money and like they're already taking money and distributing it so distributing it even more so on yeah. a publication basis, even if you say I'll only do it after you raise ten dollars, mm-hmm. like I feel like I have to do a lot of. Uh, we're expanding out the. Um, I, I'm I'm bringing on new contributors, hopefully in the next six months, to try and like build out the publication for bringing in people who speak to different audiences mm-hmm. in the author growth space that like I don't necessarily speak to. 
And I'm like, now I have to go in every like week or every month and like figure out how much I owe them and then pay them out. And like, it feels like Mm -hmm. all of the people I'm bringing in have Substack publications. So like, Mm. why do I have to do that work? Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway. But but that is, yeah, that is a unique way of seeing it. I'd never thought about it like that before because we're still all in this space of doing it for PR purposes, right? So like, we're going, okay, like, let's do this. And actually the question came up on the Sparkle call last week. Like if I ask someone to be on my podcast, like, should I be offering them a fee? And I'm like, absolutely in an ideal world, but we all do them all the time for each other. Like that's how it sort of seems to work. But actually if we are changing the engine for being paid and we're changing this engine for culture and we're looking at a publication like it's bigger than just the sum of its parts, then yeah, like we should be distributing more through that. Yeah, I mean, they, they very, they, it's very easy to see how much the, a, a pay, someone made, like it says right there, estimated yeah. money raised for the mm. thing, but like that's not actually the money that you've made. It might be $3. And also like you can't just like you still have to take in all of the money and mm-hmm. like then distribute it out mm-hmm. later yeah anyway I mean I know these are like the general problems of scale less the problems yeah. of like people that are at the lower end but like yeah. if Substack wants us to treat this like a business as they mm-hmm. do they mm-hmm. should really make it easier to make our business work on Substack mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, yeah I hear on that and it's super interesting to hear his perspective of how that all plugs in and that sort of thing. And, you know, I feel like we could have so many conversations and I'd love to stay in touch and like talk again. Like I really wanted to get into Kickstarter stuff. I know you're going to mention a little bit, you know, at the end of the podcast now, and it would be so great for you to mention like what the Kickstarter is that you've got going, like how people can find it and that sort of thing, support that work, but also you teach about Kickstarter as well. So if people are interested and want to pick up that model of doing things, then you've got some resources there. Yeah, so um, I have a book, Get Your Book Selling on Kickstarter. I will just send you the link and you, anyone who's interested can get it for free at okay. the link. Um, and you. then if they are, in, and then if they want to ex- understand the overall conversation on um, on direct sales, then we have a book called Direct Sales Mastery for Authors. It's live until January 5th on Kickstarter at writermba.com forward slash DSA. And it is how you combine subscriptions and and uh, and crowdfunding and web stores and landing pages and conventions together and moving moving everything into one direction, especially because like I made more in one day on Kickstarter than I do in a year on Substack. So like it's it's not that and I don't like continuity is a thing that you need to have like in your business all the time. And like, it just grows over time, hopefully. And it's this thing that happens in the background. But um, like, you might have other sources. Like I talk to people all the time. Like I talked to a writer who moved to Patreon because their stuff was on Royal Road. And I was like, yeah, Patreon is probably a much better like subscription platform for you because it's about association versus publication and if you want more of that you can look at the two publication models i just published like a little bit ago and it should be still it should be free to read but it's like all about so like there even when you when you realize okay subscriptions well substack and then you have patreon and you have ream and you have all of these you have ko-fi uh ko-fi and you have 
buy me a coffee. You have all of these ones in these different models. You have one-time payments, you have subscription payments. And like, you know, there's all these reasons why, why these things might work or not work for you. But we get so wound up on how to succeed on Substack. And like, I mean, I don't love saying it, but like Substack's not made to succeed for a large amount of people. Mm-hmm. Substack works on scale. The, the the way that you will make the most make money on Substack at $5 is to have an infinite number of people. That is why the recommendation engine is so important. That's why all of this stuff that the 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 organic growth is so important because like you just need even at a thousand subscribers, you're only making 50 grand. Mm-hmm. A thousand subscribers on Patreon would make you probably $200,000 because mm. of the way that their models set up like the or at least $100,000 because they have multiple price points. If you're part of our ecosystem, the uh like a forest is going to do a lot better on on uh you on can Patreon. Co- you can come than... in. It's okay. This is Russell, you're going to come say hi. Oh. This is a hi. this is a school pickup stone. Oh, hi. hi. <laughs> this is Luna. Hi, you what's can this, say what's hi. The name? This is Luna. Oh, hi Luna, I love your I love your sweater. It's you're very, great, you're, isn't it? She's you, like you have neon similar rainbow. coloring to mommy, huh? Yeah, look at that. We've twinned today. Yeah. So there is so much to learn and so much to think about and so much to do. But let's cut through the overwhelm because Russell's done loads of it for us. Like, let's just go over to the author staff. Oh, so sweet. Read some articles of Russell's and um, I'm going to share some more links, some of the things that you've mentioned, <laughs> Russell. Why don't you draw my paper yet? And <laughs> and we'll say bye-bye, but I really hope that we can talk again soon because I've literally had so many light bulb moments. It's been so nice to talk to you. Thank you for your time. Absolutely. See you soon. Bye.